the other night, I was just, I, <laughs> I just found myself thinking about fundamentalist Christians. <laughs> okay. And I just started laughing. <laughs> A deep belly laugh that brought me so much joy. And it wasn't derisive <laughs> laughter. It was just, it was hilarious to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there were two thoughts. One, we've had 2,000 years and this is where we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two, in 2,000 years, none of this matters. Yeah. <laughs> That is the folly of fundamentalist thinking. Look at how much we've evolved just since the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. Those Protestants wouldn't agree with what modern-day Protestants are doing. Yeah. And that was only in the 1400s. So even given another 600 years, we're not going to agree now with what people who are considered Christians and followers of the faith are going to be doing in, in 600 years. And already you're starting to see a lot of deconstruction happening. You see more fundamentalists ever just because the population is larger than it has ever been. Yeah. But you're going to see more and more definitions of what it means to be Christian arise over the next 600 years. Yeah. And like what is acceptable under that umbrella. And probably they'll still be warring our ideologies, but they'll be different ideologies, like absolutely, from what they were today. Yeah. So when I think about fundamentalism, really of any kind, but particularly religious fundamentalism, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a second. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let a few more seconds go by and then decide what is fundamental to this belief. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think, like, I've heard that there's been a real serious uptick in atheism, too, that that's kind of been, of this current generation, that's been one of the more prevailing mindsets. Do you think that there's been a fundamentalist response to that? Like if religion is being threatened in that way, just as a premise, it's being threatened almost that people feel the need to really draw those lines pretty hard now because you can't just sort of like switch the Christian gear, switch the Catholic gear, whatever it is. You, you have to kind of almost defend religion as a category as much as you have to defend your religion. Well, that gets complicated. See, atheism can be a form of fundamentalism. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So a backlash against atheism is necessary when both sides have a fundamentalist response to the other. Yeah. So I'm right, absolutely, versus I'm right, absolutely. But then you look at a lot of the newer atheists who are okay with a little bit of mysticism and a little bit of mystery and like, oh, science can't explain this. I'm okay calling that God. Whatever. Yeah. I guess it, it just really depends on what level of acceptance there is between two beliefs and like, is, is atheism an ideology? Yeah. And you I know? guess for this conversation, I'm more referring to the fundamentalist atheists just because it is a more... I, that's actually my, I have kind of an issue with it because it's an ideology, it, which is just stupid to me. It's like you're just spending all your time talking about how there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. Why? And and just as some atheists do not view it as an ideology, or uh, I shouldn't even say view it, but like do not act as if it is their ideology. Yeah. 
a lot of Christians don't act as if Christianity is their ideology. Yeah, totally. So as that gap is bridged a little bit more and people learn to explore in a more mystical way each other's beliefs or each other's ideological tendencies, but not necessarily full beliefs, that narrows the bridge and that allows people to um, just kind of play around in each other's beliefs without really faith being necessary or without like fundamentalist ideas of you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. Yeah. So, okay. The current generation is the least likely generation in history to subscribe to an organized belief system. Yeah. So if that continues, then fundamentalism drops Mm -hmm. because in theory, that also means that the current generation is the least likely to subscribe to fundamentalist atheism. That's true. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I don't know. I guess we'll just see where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, it could go anywhere. It feels like this current situation is a growing thing. Because the, the fundamentalist atheism, to me, feels like a response. Like It feels like it almost needs that power to like push back, like it needs a little bit of organization to push back. And I don't know if it's that we've never been able to communicate on this scale or if there are more people questioning these things than there have been in the past. It could be both too, but um, it seems like it almost needs a little bit of that unification just to kind of get its legs. But then there's that question of like, what is that it, you know? But we're redefining so many things as a people right now, like we're to be honest, I kind of think we're in an enlightenment as sloppy as this feels day to day. When you look at the values of like the enlightenment of your versus like now it's very similar, you know, science is very critical and we haven't quite kicked into like the artistic gear yet, but a lot of philosophies are being reconsidered. A lot of religions are being reconsidered and it just seems necessary right now. But I agree. It it was really a time will tell kind of thing because who knows, man. And even as I'm saying, there are more and more Christians who are even okay with dropping the label and like see the value in the Gospels, see the value in a lot of the Judeo-Christian teachings, but don't view it in a fundamentalist way. Like that could just be who I read. Yeah. Oh, that's a good like, point. I could, I could think that there's more of those people than there really are because <laughs> that's who I read and that's who I pay attention to as I'm sort of relearning the lessons of Christianity and relearning how to apply those values in a non-fundamentalist, non-dualistic way. So I'm obviously biased, but like I could be more biased than I think. Mm. Well, I mean, I grew up in a, sep- a secular scene overall, so this this could even be completely off base, but I would love to see just a distinction start to happen between religion and spirituality more, you know, like, because over the years, I've kind of just observed a lot of them, at least from afar, and gotten the sense that a lot of people just want that community. They want a place to go and a place to belong and a, you know people to talk to and a, just a community, like pick you up when you're down, hang out when you're up, whatever. And that's totally cool and valid, and I completely understand that. And then on the other side, people have deep-rooted fears and concerns and need a reason to live and stuff, and spirituality can fill a lot of those holes. But... I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be the same club, you know? Like you can get together in a cool building with a bunch of like-minded or unlike-minded people and talk about 
mythology and that could be a fucking awesome night, but you don't have to then pin your afterlife on that. But that's kind of, they've been so big together since God knows when that like, I don't know how that separation could happen, but I think that could be a really amazing turn for society to really let people talk about their spirituality together, but not necessarily feel that unification if they don't need it, but also still have access to the community aspects of it because they're completely valuable. Yeah. I mean, even if there is, okay. Have I ever told you about my theory that metaphor is God? No, I like the sound of that though. <laughs> okay. So a, a little bit of theology has to lead into this, which is that like in the church, we say that God is the Trinity, you know, it is Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. So God, the creator, the Son is Jesus, the Christ, Christ being that which is unitive and that which is the source of all, and Jesus was the embodiment of the concept of Christ. Okay. And the Holy Spirit is what follows that which is that without being fully divine, man feels intrinsically what is unitive and what is the source of all. And so man feels connection to man. Okay. This is what allows us to understand and experience metaphor, mm. right? So when you read something, a line in a book, <clears throat> when you hear a lyric, when you hear a line of melody... Yeah. This is what allows us to experience art collectively and have a shared experience in something that was uh. created not by God, but by man. So the idea that we can read a metaphor mm. and think to ourselves, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that means, even though that could be based on a specific experience that I have not had. And this is how we read, read mythology. The specifics of the stories are not something that we have lived, but when then translated into metaphor, we can look at that and say, I know exactly what that means. Uh. So I would argue that metaphor is contingent upon the Holy Spirit existing. And because the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, that is God as a whole, metaphor is God. Dude, that's fucking good, man. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, I have to mull that one over. So uh, how this translates into spirituality, the atheist materialists who say there is nothing but what that which science can prove yeah, would still have to agree that there is something in our brains, perhaps evolutionarily, or perhaps since the point of creation, that relates to one another's human experiences in mm -hmm. a way that allows us to observe the world unitively instead of just individualistically or instead of just tribally. Mm. And what that is, is we all share metaphors and we all share emotional reactions to things. And that could be an evolutionary thing, mm. but we all share reactions to things like art, whether that be a line of poetry or, or a line of melody, like I was saying. Mm. So the atheist who is a materialist and says, this is all there is and all that is real is, is what science can observe still cannot discount that. Yeah. So to introduce the idea of spirituality being separate from religion is to necessarily make space for that which cannot be practiced or that which is not tangible. Mm. 
and what it maybe tangible isn't the best word because like what you were just saying about like the community around it. Yeah. Right. Like that community is more strongly felt and, and felt being the operative word. So it is tangible. It's more strongly felt when people are having shared experiences of knowing or not knowing or just feeling. Yeah. So for the materialist, that is all evolutionary traits of the human brain and what it has been conditioned to feel. Yeah. But for the mystic, it is, well, this is a product of creation. And therefore, like, did you start reading that Michael Gunger book yet? Not yet. It's right there, actually. Okay. <laughs> it's coming right up. He argues that, like, to be human is to be a creator. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what your career, no matter what your belief system, like, to live is to be generative. Yeah. So to live is to create experience. To live is to seek out connection with people. To live is to seek fulfillment. So you generate your own experiences. Yeah. Within whatever pathway you choose for yourself. To be generative is to be a creator. To be a creator is to bring into form or bring into feeling that which was not there before. And so to generate a sense of community out of a need for community and to be a creator in that sense is to generate a spiritual bond. Mm. Now, whether you call it a spiritual bond or just an evolutionary need for tribalism or an evolutionary need to be seen or heard or needed, Mm. that is kind of up for debate. Yeah. But to view it spiritually is to view it as... This has been in the ether since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And this is that thing manifesting over and over again through creation. Mm-hmm. But to be a materialist is to deny that it has any real relevance other than a neuron firing in the brain for the present moment mm-hmm. based on instincts that were inbuilt thousands of years ago. Yeah. And I think, I guess, my issue with all of those like very firm sets of beliefs like that is just that they believe that they've arrived at something, which I just, I mean, I don't know. I have my own theories, my own beliefs about how things could go, but I just don't feel that that's fair, you know, for one person to say, all right, I'm drawing this line. Everybody get behind it. It's just like based on what, you know, you're a bunch of neurons firing too, or you're a creation of God too, or whatever, you know, it's just... Yeah, that's something I've always kind of been puzzled by with where spirituality meets society or meets human beings. Yeah. Hence the laughter. Yeah. <laughs> Hence my laughter go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think it's a destination. <laughs> it's not a destination. You're still going. You're still learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think it's all about challenging each other to learn. And, you know, like we were talking about with Ryan last week, the weeds, pulling the weeds, Mm. you might learn that some of those weeds have benefits to you and aren't actually weeds yeah, and can nourish you in some way. So like the way that you've landscaped your garden is not necessarily how it's going to stay. Yeah. Like, didn't they say that when um, the first European settlers came to America, they were under the impression that everything red that was growing was poison. Really? I'd never heard that. Yeah, at least tomatoes, I believe they thought, 
were a bad scene and um, some natives kind of showed them like, no, 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 you can eat these because they, they believed that it was, I, God damn, I hope I'm getting the order of these right. But I know that this happened, <laughs> you know, like they, they thought that they resembled a very, very poisonous plant that they had in their own land. And they were gradually introduced to the fact that this is cool. I'm just picturing someone in Jamestown. Going, Don't eat the tomatoes. Those are a bad scene, man. <laughs> Here, have some of this kush, man. <laughs> no, I always think about that, though, dude. Like, if we had never gotten comfortable with eating shit that's red, how much of life would suck? Like, all of my favorite foods are red, basically, or have red. But if we had arrived at that conclusion and said, no, 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 this is how this literal garden is going to be, we would never have experienced pizza, <laughs> yeah. which is enough for me to denounce any spirituality or anything. Yeah. We wouldn't have apples. Yeah. Cranberries. Cranberries, yeah. So we basically wouldn't have the Cape. We wouldn't have Cape Cod. Strawberries, raspberries, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of red. Yeah, red things a lot of berries. There. Berries are the thing I love most in the world. Yeah. If they weren't there, just blueberries, but not the... Oh, the inside's red. Kind of, yeah. It's like well, burgundy, yeah. Well, I feel like they were more focused on the skin, but... Yeah. That was sure a trend back then. Jesus. <laughs> Still is, man. Yeah. <laughs> I probably said it before in one of these, but like any philosophy or any practice that sort of accounts for the fallibility of, of man, that makes sense to me because it's just too big of a component of our nature to pretend for even a second that it's not there. And that's my issue with like, when we believe that we have arrived at something and that it is the only way it could possibly be under any circumstances, how could we possibly know that? Even the instrument we're studying it with, even if it's our own brain, it's completely subjective and completely flawed, and we can't measure that last little bit. Because, I mean, think of how real everything to do with matter seemed until you realize that there's antimatter and some of that stuff that we were assuming about matter, we were just bridging gaps to make it make sense because we couldn't figure out what the hell's going on over here. And now we, 100 years later, start to realize, oh, shit, there's an entire universe worth of stuff we did not realize was sitting right among us, it doesn't disprove everything that happened up to that point. It just proves that like we could not say this was the ultimate nature of everything because here's another ultimate nature of everything. You know, like I think that's fucking cool. I love that about spirituality, about science, about just human thought and experience. Like it's just fun as hell and doesn't change anything except it just colors in your world a little bit more or pulls the curtain apart a little bit more. And I, I just find it strange that we can't embrace that more. Yeah. As a group. You know, I was talking to my dad recently about spirituality and inherent to that conversation when talking to a Christian is the idea of the spirit world, mm -hmm. which I hadn't even really thought about. For, for years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but inherent to this conversation is, okay, here's the spirit world, and here are forces of good and evil that are going to influence you if you open the door to the spirit world. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't thought in those terms in so long. 
And it made me uncomfortable thinking like, can I talk about spirituality without this dualistic idea of forces of good and evil, angels and demons entering into the conversation? Like when I talk about spirituality, what I'm talking about mostly is shared experience and a feeling of oneness with nature and a feeling of ancient knowledge, I suppose, mm. and a feeling of mysticism, a feeling of wondrousness. Mm. That's kind of what it's all about for me, and it can be different for different people, for sure. But then for talk of the spirit world, <laughs> like that's a completely different realm for me. Yeah. So for a lot of the people who might oppose the idea of spirituality, yeah. I think that opposition comes from they're wanting to put up a gate against those forces of quote unquote evil yeah, that might live within that spirit realm and thereby have control over what enters your consciousness, what enters your, or have control over what you're letting in. But to do so is to view spirituality dualistically. Mm -hmm. So to, to view spirituality dualistically is to say, you know, it is to view it fundamentalistically, first of all, because it is to say either this is helpful or it's not, either mm -hmm. this is observable or it's not, either this is, you know, and, and, and you know, helpful and observable might be deemed as good. Yeah. Observable, but in a paganistic way might be deemed as bad. Yeah helpful to science because you can do brain scans while someone has a spiritual or mystical experience. Yeah. But it's not helpful to a fundamentalistic viewer of science if you have a spiritual experience, but it cannot be observed, you know? Yeah. So the dualistic mind wants to look at things like spirituality or things like the spirit world as... I have control over my perception of this because I can label it one thing or another. Yeah. And I can impose benevolence onto it or I can impose, impose maliciousness onto it. And it is under my control because I'm the one who labels it and I'm the one whose beliefs it is either agreeing with or infringing upon. Mm. I mean, that has me thinking too that maybe something like fundamentalism isn't <laughs> fundamentally wrong. <laughs> unless you start to apply it to things that we've extrapolated yeah, and come to those conclusions about, you know, like you could be fundamentally scientific as long as you apply it to the universal things that aren't necessarily conclusions, things like the scientific method. Like that, that's a pretty tried and true good way to reason. But what you reason to isn't necessarily right because you did it that way. It just means that you followed all the steps that we've agreed for hundreds of years now, avoid the most fuck-ups given our tools that we have at our disposal. And it could be the same thing for, for something like religion, like there's aspects of it that work. And then there's aspects where we start piecing together those initial aspects to make secondary things that we assume work because we really want them to work or because the first thing works, so why the hell wouldn't the second or because it hasn't appeared to be broken yet. Like, as soon as we start dipping our toes into things like that is where I think something like fundamentalism of any kind becomes wrong because it's just not... I want to say it's not proven or it's not totally fleshed out, but 
even that feels fundamentalist. I don't know. You know, it just it just isn't certain the way the first things are. And if the whole point is certainty, then apply it to the things that are certain. Yeah. I've been reading The Prophet. <laughs> yeah. And a great line in that book, I'm going to paraphrase it. When you think that you have found truth, say that you have found a truth. Yeah. Not that, yeah. You, not that you have found the truth. Yeah. That is non-dualism. So to be a fundamentalist is to claim to have found the truth and then impose that truth onto others instead of letting it be true to you and letting yourself take solace in that particular truth. Yeah. The fundamentalist grasps a truth and turns it into the truth. Yeah. And then begins to see the world dualistically because anything that disagrees with that truth is a falsehood. Mm -hmm. The non-dual way of looking at that is... I have found a truth. You have yeah. found a truth. It is different from my truth. But because it is a truth relative to your lived and felt experience, it is still valid to you. Mm. And therefore, it should still be valid to me. Because if it is not, then we create conflict. Yeah. And that's where I think that the separation of some of these roles could come in. Is I wonder sometimes if just the, the pressures of, of living on this earth can put a person, like basically can we reason with things like this? Can we think this way out of a place of luxury? You know, because we're sitting in first world homes thinking about the meaning of it all. But if you're, if the world is coming down on you every second of every day and you just want a fucking answer, like you just want something to be still and to be okay, I can see how you would arrive at dualism or at fundamentalism or at something that just stops the ball rolling for 20 seconds so you can get your shit together and, and believe that things will someday be okay, even if you're dead by then. Like, I understand how that pressure could lead to that conclusion, and then that conclusion could be passed down and passed down and passed down, and then, you know, all of a sudden we're so far from that original comfort that we're causing discomfort again. And... That's where I feel like if if we could properly separate some of these these things where a church, for example, could provide that comfort just as genuinely for the people who need it, but it doesn't carry with it this burden where for that to be valid, it has to be this truth all the time, present, past, and future. If you could separate it from that, so basically take the pressure away, like keep the gas away from the fire, then we're free to reason and explore spiritually and try to figure out what in the hell we're doing and, and grow, basically. And we're also free to be in pain. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the claims that religion is born of fear come about. And I guess, you know, go back to the most ancient religions, you know, in Mesopotamian culture and ziggurats being built to honor the gods of cities that grant certain territories rain and good harvest. Yeah. You know, sustenance depended on the graces of the gods. In a sense, you have to make an argument that religion was born of fear. Mm -hmm. But that criticism of modern Christianity can also be true, but is not necessarily true. And what you were just kind of talking about is the urgency of that fear. Yeah. And you don't observe Christian fundamentalism unless you are like positive that you're going to hell if you don't live a certain way. Yeah. 
And unless you're positive that other people are going to hell if they don't believe in your truth. Mm. So I have a lot of admiration for the Christians who have taken that fear out of it. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about fundamentalism, what we're talking about is a proclaimed answer to mystery yeah. that necessarily requires faith. Yeah. We've said before, I don't know if it was on this podcast or not, but just in conversation, we've said before that the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. Yeah. Faith and doubt kind of need to go hand in hand. Yeah. Certainty is sort of the enemy because certainty is fundamentalism. So I guess take take what I just said out of it. Um, the fundamentalist, whether a Christian or an atheist or of any ideology, is someone who is certain. Yeah. It is not someone who has faith mm. because it's not someone who allows doubt. Yeah. And to allow doubt is to allow that you're only trying to answer a mystery that is still a mystery. Yeah. And that is one of the great metaphors intrinsic to the world is that we are all burdened by mystery. Yeah. And for some of these practices that are not necessarily ideological, but just spiritual practice, it's taking the burden out of the mystery. It's living in harmony with the mystery, but yeah. not being certain about what the mystery is. Yeah. It's having faith that just because it's mysterious does not mean that it is ominous. Yeah, that's good. But also have your doubts. We're human. We're here. We don't know why. <laughs> have <Yeah>. your doubts. <laughs> but certainty about anything is always going to deprive someone else of their freedom to have doubts. Yeah. Or their freedom to have the kind of faith that they need to have in whatever moment they're living in. But then there's that certainty and the doubt and the faith about the future and the afterlife and, you know, things that have yet to happen. But there's also the applications that um, deal with the past or the deeds that you've done, you know, because that's another, I feel like that's maybe even a stronger thing that binds us to religions in a lot of cases or even to science, really. Anything that becomes kind of fundamentalist is something that helps us reckon with our actions throughout our lives, like take something like, um, like euthanasia. It is about as divisive as you can get <laughs> as yeah. far as an action goes, yeah. because it is to a lot of people, 100% merciful and saintly. And on the other side, it's fucking murder of a helpless person. And I don't know if you do that deed, if you commit that act, you have to live with it for the rest of your life, regardless of whether or not you believe it was right or wrong or whatever, like that kind of uncertainty, if you're not prepared to wake up every day and stare it in the eyes and try a little bit more to understand it completely on your own, it'll unravel you, you know? So I can see why somebody would take comfort in, I don't know, say they're scientifically minded and they just believe that this was the right thing to do because factually speaking, this person was in way more pain than they were enjoying life and this was the move versus somebody who believes that murder is a sin and if they do that they're sending themselves to hell and all it's like both of those allow you a little bit of respite from the fact that you have no idea if that was right 
on a certain level or if even if it's not that it was right or wrong but just that now there's this gap now there's this pain because if it was a loved one or if it was somebody that you knew like there's just so much uncertainty in there and it's not always kind of something that's ponderable sometimes it's something that just fucks with you forever and I don't know I've never been in that position but I imagine something like a confession or something where you can walk up to somebody whom your faith or you, in whatever, whether it's science or religion, has you've bestowed upon them that utmost authority to just rule on whatever you've done. That comfort must be invaluable. I think that has to be an extension of the conversation about assisted suicide or what is now called uh, medical aid and dying. Yeah. Because the scenario you're describing is one where the person who is suffering or the person who doesn't have their powers of speech does not have a way to enact free will. Yeah. But the same kind of fundamentalism that would stop that person from being euthanized is the fundamentalism that would prevent someone from determining when it is their own time to die. Mm -hmm. Even if it is of their own accord, even if it is their wish that their suffering be ended and it can be ended medically and professionally and safely without causing any harm to others and without causing trauma to whoever would find them yeah. uh, if they were to take their own life. That same fundamentalism is going to say it's not your choice when you die you are in god's hands yeah you can't take your own fate into your own hands and if you do then you're condemned to hell for eternity because assisted suicide is still suicide yeah but it's only the fundamentalists that are weighing in trying to stop it that's a that good point, point. yeah and I don't know that there is a fundamentalism that exists on the other side of the debate. Well, I mean, you could argue that there is. It's like mercy should be shown or what you just said, like the utilitarian side of it is that more suffering than joy is now present yeah. in their life. And so that is mercy. But it's so subjective too by but, that point. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. It's subjective. And I don't, I don't know that there is a fundamentalist point of view about what is mercy and what is not. But yeah. there is a fundamentalist point of view about what is murder and what is not. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean is like that point is always going to be so complex that it's really impossible to rule on it in any sort of objective way that you can like be at peace with in and of itself without some sort of foundation of beliefs, whatever they may be, or philosophies, or, you know, just you have to have reasoned your way or even had those conversations with loved ones or whatever. Just that's kind of the stuff that I think you'd be telling yourself at night. Like I've never, like I said, I've never done it. I've never been in the position where I'm in the room and I have to pull the plug or something like that. But I was there uh, when my parents were drawing up their wills and we had this conversation and we've all talked like everyone in my house has talked about this stuff on a philosophical level of just like what do you think's right what do you think's wrong it just this was like kind of just how we'd shoot the shit sometimes and those I really enjoyed those conversations like I like kind of working through these things but it was weird having that talk in a lawyer's office 
And they just kind of looked at me and they were like, listen, we want to put you on this thing, but do you think you could do it? And like, do you think if you were actually like confronted by a doctor and they said, so-and-so is in a coma, you have to, you got to make a decision right now. Would you actually have the capacity to do it? And it was weird because when the lawyer asked me that, I was like, oh Christ, I don't know. Like, how how would I possibly know? But I thought about it for a second and I was like, well, no, I mean, I've had these conversations with both of my parents extensively. They know my views on it. I know theirs. We've even gone so far as to discuss, like, if I'm ever in XYZ state, good Christ, I don't want to live anymore, like, under any fucking circumstances. Like, yeah. if you ever find me in that state, you pull the plug. Do you understand me? Like, we've had those talks, and I just kind of realized, like, yeah, I know I would, I would know what to do, and I would have the guts to do it because I think to let them down in that way would be to go back on this foundation of, like, love and respect that we have for one another. But I also told them that I can't promise it wouldn't fuck me up for the rest of my life. Like, I can't promise that I wouldn't think about that every night before I went to bed. And I wouldn't constantly doubt myself from that neurotic, anxious place. And that's kind of the fear, I mean, is like, whether it's right or wrong is almost immaterial. It's just the, like, you have kind of reached beyond your level of understanding because you knew you had to. And then you have to spend the rest of your life wondering about that and god it would be nice to have a way out you know and i don't know i like i said i haven't experienced that end of it but i have to imagine that if and when i do there will be a time when i'm like god damn i wish somebody could just come down from heaven and say you did the right thing and then go back up and i can sleep soundly for the however many years i have after that well here's where this conversation gets really interesting my own personal point of view is this as we were discussing in the uh, episode about the human condition, we all make our own meaning. We define the meaning of life for ourselves, and we tell ourselves the stories that are like uh, we can. We we build the constructs that we think we belong in, mm. and that construct for me, in terms of spirituality, is how am I participating in the world? Mm. How am I absorbing and consuming and then regenerating substance and discourse, which are then contributed to the constructs that I find fulfillment in, mm. right? So if I were ever in a vegetative state and I could no longer participate or contribute, I don't think that I would want to live anymore. Yeah. Now, the one caveat is maybe if I could still enjoy music, mm. maybe if someone could still read to me and I had full comprehension of what they were saying, then I'd be like, okay, I haven't heard every book yet. Let's keep going. Let's keep it going. <laughs> yeah. However, I have no idea what happens after we die. Yeah. So I don't know that I would necessarily be thinking, don't kill me yet because this is all there is. I have heard exactly one person say to me that if they were in a vegetative state, keep me alive as long as possible. Mm. I have heard exactly one person say that. In order to say that, you have to fully believe that this is all there is. Mm. You have to fully be a materialist and believe that once you are dead, your experiences are done. Lights yeah. out, nothing after. Or fully believe that you're going right to hell too, because you might be wanting oh, a yeah. stay of execution, you know? But the funny thing about that is 
that is in itself a fundamentalist belief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in order for <laughs> in order for that to be true. <laughs> In order for you to want to be kept alive in a vegetative state, you would have to have an ideologically opposing belief to the people who want you to be kept alive in a vegetative state. <laughs> Assuming that the reason they think it's murder is because they're Christians. But, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm putting you in my will... <laughs> just under the condition that you have to keep me alive for the duration of your reasoning to the point of whether or not it's ethical and moral to kill me <laughs> and you have to do well, it out loud oh i will i'll record it <laughs> and play it yeah i'll i'll listen to it maybe it'll wake me up that would be cool yeah, yeah. and then it's all moot <laughs> I guess the point that I'm making, though, is that, like, if that question hasn't been answered mm -hmm. directly during that person's life, it has to be determined by what their beliefs were, what you know their beliefs to be, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if you are fully aware that they are a materialist and they live their life as an atheist and they think that this is all there is, then it's a question of whether they found peace in that and mm -hmm. whether they're okay with dying. But I, yeah, I just, I, I think this is like all the more reason for us to speak openly about <laughs> personal beliefs, individually held beliefs. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to actually say that this is like the most concrete and terrifying example of why we should live in the now and like love one another and know one another while we're here. Yeah. Because yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, that is the only basis we'll have. Yeah. Because if somebody is like in a vegetative state and I have to believe that they're suffering more than they're ever experiencing joy. Yeah. But I have heard them say, I believe assisted suicide is murder. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make that call for them. I'm going to yeah. want to honor their beliefs. I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to disagree with, with that belief. Yeah. But that's my personally held belief. Yeah. But I, you have to honor somebody's truth, even if it's not your truth. Mm -hmm.